Hello, vampires and slayers. This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? To which the answer to that question is every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, exactly 20 years after its original air date. Tonight, we're talking about Harsh Light of Day, and um, we're also going to have our little postscript um, that's usually not very little of the Angel episodes that aired the same day. So we're going to be talking about Harsh Light of Day, the Buffy episode, and the Angel episode is called In the Dark. But we're going to talk about Buffy first. Um, okay, first of all, a confession. My mom thinks I don't need to confess this, but I think I do. You know how last week I was all like, dude, I'm so sorry I didn't watch the episode on the day. I totally forgot. I decided I'm going to give myself three of these. <laughs> So this whole, like, I realize, I fully realize that no one cares, but I am, it it might be the fact that I'm autistic, that I'm obsessed with this little detail, but when I first came up with this concept of watching every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer exactly 20 years after its original U.S. air date, I, it was like two years before the 20 year anniversary of the first episode. So I came up with the idea and then I had to wait two years before I could enact the idea. Um, at first I don't think I knew how I was going to document it. Like, was I going to do a blog or like a YouTube or just do it for fun for myself? Um, and I'm really glad that I chose to do it as a podcast. Um, I'm really enjoying it and I'm so glad you're listening. Thank you so much. Um, But my original plan was to watch every single episode exactly 20 years to the day. And I'm very literal about that. So, you know, there have been times that I have had to record the podcast early, but then I make myself watch the episode on the day anyway, even if I've already watched it. And usually I watch it at least twice before I record the podcast. So sometimes I'll be watching it a third time after I've already recorded it, just so I actually... I'm not lying to myself and you that I have watched it on that day. (laughs) Ideally, I would like to have the time to watch it, take notes on it, record the podcast, edit the podcast, and upload the podcast all in the same day so that you can still listen to it on the day. So I did it again. I did it again. I have now... Up until now, we're in season four now. I have not missed a single day of watching it on the exact air date 20 years later. But I missed last week and I missed the week before. Twice in a row. And both times I had, I had to, both times it was because I recorded the podcast early. And so I had like a, ten, I had like a plan to watch it on the day of, um, but then I just completely forgot. Last week I had, um... I hung out with some friends and I don't even, I can't even, I don't even know if we got home before midnight. It's possible it was already after midnight when I got home. So I would have not considered, and I didn't even realize it until like Sunday night that I hadn't watched it. Anyway, again, I realize y'all don't care. I don't have to confess this, but so my general plan, I'm going to relax a little bit. (laughs) Because I have just um, gotten my new schedule for work and the way that my work is, I I don't have a consistent schedule. So I don't ever know 
what days I work and what days I don't work. Um, so I, my new schedule, I work six out of the next seven Saturdays. And most of those days are like the whole day I work. And that's the day. That's the air day day. Saturdays are the air day day. And it is really hard for me to do this project after I've worked a full eight hour shift and it's a Saturday. So like, you know, if you have social obligations with friends, a lot of the times they'll end up being on Saturdays. So here's my plan. I still, because I decided to give myself three cheat days, I still have one left, but I've decided I'm not going to be extremely angry with myself if, I mean, I still intend to watch it on the exact air date, but I think what I'm going to make a bigger priority is that you guys get the podcast on the air date. So if that means I have to record it a day early, fine. And maybe that means I don't watch it on the day. But I think it makes more sense to promise you guys that if you want to embark upon this project, if you want to be obsessive about making sure you watch every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer exactly 20 years after its original air date, and part of that ritual for you is also listening to my podcast, I would like you to be able to listen to it on the day. So I'm not off to a great start because by the time I upload this podcast, it's possibly going to be, I mean, it's for sure going to be after midnight in some time zones and it might be after midnight in my time zone uh, because I'm recording right now at 10, 15 PM. However, I would like to make the promise to you going forward that even if I don't watch the episode on the day. I'm going to try my very hardest to make sure you guys get the episode on the day. I have not ever been super consistent about the day that I upload the podcast. Um, sometimes it's a Sunday. Sometimes it's a Monday. <laughs> um, the episode before last, it was on a fucking like Tuesday or Wednesday when I finally uploaded it. So I want to be more consistent with that because you know, that affects a lot more people. <laughs> it affects a lot more people than me just being able to tell myself that I've watched the episode on the exact day, which is something that I am fixating on. It's a small detail that I fixate on. And that is a thing that I do. I, I fixate on small details of a lot of things in my life. <laughs> it's kind of my thing. So there you go. That is, um, my little, um, confession intro. So as y'all know, may or may not know, if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, again, thank you so much for listening. Like the fact that people put up with my babbling all the time is just incredibly amazing to me. And it is the reason that I am alive. So thank you. Um, but as many of you might suspect, whenever I record late at night, it means, it usually means I'm going to take a shot. So let's take a shot together. I've got my little cactus shot glass full of cheap whiskey. Let's do this. To harsh light of day, a terrible Buffy episode. <gasps> Spoiler alert. Okay. Yeah, let's do this.
I just realized why it's called Harsh Light of Day. Not only because Spike shows up and he gets the Gem of Amara, which means he can be in the Harsh Light of Day without immolating, but also there's this whole... I guess I just never paid that close of attention to this episode before. Because it's kind of obvious that there's the whole parallel between... And my mom got it right away. She's like, oh, this is the sex episode. <laughs> um, but it is. It's like when Anya and Xander do it, the harsh light of day the next day. You know, it's all about like the walk of shame, the harsh light of day after you've made the decision to sleep with somebody or whatever. Because it's Anya and Xander doing Xander, Anya and Xander doing it. <laughs> And then Buffy and Parker doing it. And then also Harmony and Spike. So let's start by reading the summary from Nikki Stafford's amazing episode guide called Bite Me. Harmony returns to Sunnydale as a vampire. Buffy's relationship with Parker gets serious. And Spike searches for a gem that will make him impervious to all harm. There you go. There's the episode summary. Thank you for listening. Okay. Um... So let's get into my notes. I just dramatic sigh here. Let's see. I want to see who wrote and directed. It's interesting that Jane Espenson wrote this episode because I love Jane Espenson. Because I, spoiler alert, I don't think this episode treats women very well. Or it's possible that there's some kind of nuance we're supposed to pick up on that, that isn't, maybe it's just the director didn't put this together correctly or something, because to me, this episode is a lot of, the women are all damseled and sidelined and it's like domestic abuse almost. So Buffy is shown as being um, taken advantage of by Parker. Harmony is shown as, I mean, it kind of gets pretty triggering in a domestic abuse type situation. Like he is grabbing her and shaking her and throwing her around and he is genuinely being terrible to her. And it's not, we haven't seen Spike like this because with Drusilla, he was very caring towards her. Like he would have his little like emotional outbursts and shit, but he didn't physically take it out on her. So that was really hard to watch. And then Xander is fine towards Anya for the most part, except for his stupid little sexist bullshit about talking about turning into a woman. We'll get there. Okay. I'm just, I'm not going to go off on that quite yet. Let's just get into my notes. But just overall, I am, after just now watching it, I'm struck by just kind of disappointed in the treatment of women in this episode. Because 
it's just, you know, the scorned women walking away at the end. It's, it's playing up on the vulnerability and emotional makeup of a stereotypical woman in pop culture. It's a, it's a, it's just too tropey that like, I don't know. Anyway, I, I, again, let's just not go there yet. Let's get into my notes. Parker and Buffy spent all week together. So the episode begins with like, um, Buffy and Willow are talking. They're at the bronze. Oh my God. I wonder if this episode even passes the Bechdel test because Buffy and Willow have several conversations in this episode. I don't actually know if it did pass the Bechdel test. I usually try to pay attention to that. And Buffy usually don't even have to think about it because it's going to. Usually. But they're talking about Parker and they're talking about Spike. Are they ever really talking about anything else? Not really. Possibly not. It's possible this episode does not pass the Bechdel test because, well, yes, it does. Because Harmony and Willow do talk several sentences before they mention, well, my boyfriend this and my boyfriend that. So, okay. So it does. It does pass the Bechdel test. Okay. So it's established in the scene while Willow and Buffy are talking that, you know, her and Park. Buffy and Parker have spent like all week together and they've just been talking, talking, talking and just like every waking moment they've been together, blah, blah, blah. And then Willow, it starts out a little sex positive for a second because Willow's like, Buffy's having lusty wrong feelings. And then she's like, no, no, you're not having lusty wrong feelings because they're not wrong. You're an adult. He's an adult. You guys are free to do whatever you want, you know? So that was a nice little moment. Um, Harmony, big snake, huh? So Buffy and Parker leave together because he's going to, first of all, just a stupid little plot hole. Like the whole reason it's, it's been sort of established that the reason why they're living on campus is because as Willow pointed out in like the first episode of the season, the UC Sunnydale is 20 minutes away or 20 miles away or something like that. And Parker's like, um, let me walk you to your dorm. And they're at the bronze, which was for sure within walking distance of Buffy's house. And now he's able to walk her all the way to her dorm. That's 20 minutes or miles away, 20 minutes by foot. Then if it's only 20 minutes by foot, why did she have to, this is just a sticking point for me. The fact that she lives in a dorm, I feel like they did not establish why she's living in a fucking dorm. They could have just dropped a little thing in there of like, well, first year freshman students are have to live in the dorm or have to live on campus or something, you know, cause I've heard that that's a rule in some dorms. Anyway, whatever. That's just me being nitpicky. Um, so when Oz and Willow leave, that's when they run into Harmony. And so she's, this is the first time we're seeing Harmony as a vampire. Very fun to see Harmony as a vampire. Um, she's definitely the best dressed person on this episode for sure. Like 
Buffy's outfits weren't terrible in this episode. Um, we've definitely seen worse from Buffy, <laughs> but they weren't really stand out as being that great either. Um, Willow's outfits were fine. I don't really remember them one way or the one way or the other, but uh, spoiler alert, Harmony wins outfit of the episode. And I will talk about which one when we get there. Um, Harmony at one point says big snake, huh? Talking about graduation. Um, the big takeaway from this episode for me is that Buffy refers to Angel as an angry puppy. Parker's asking her about her scar on her neck and her explanation was angry puppy. <laughs> that was the entire explanation. So from now on, I would like to refer to Angel as angry puppy. And also later Harmony calls Spike Blondie Bear. So I would like to, for as long as I can keep it up, refer to Angel as angry puppy and Spike as Blondie Bear. I don't think I'll be able to keep that up, but I'll try to remember to throw it in every once in a while. It'll be a callback. I'll still be doing it. Like two years from now, I'll still be doing it. <laughs> okay. Um, blah, blah, blah. Giles and Xander doing... Okay, so this is cute. For some... I mean, I think this is kind of strange that Giles would hire Xander to help him like organize his books. That seems like completely out of character, but they're at Giles's apartment and presumably he's finally unloading all the boxes from the, the library that from when he packed up and left the school library, I'm assuming. So he's having Xander help him, which first of all, Xander doesn't know how you want to fucking organize your books. And somebody like Giles would not let someone else organize their books. Okay. No fucking way and pay him to do it. But it was a cute little, um, routine of just like seeing Giles and Xander play off of each other. It was, it was fun. It was a good, thank you, Jane Espenson. I know you're responsible for that little moment and I appreciate it. Um, and then Anya just barges into Giles's house. <laughs> that was weird. So this is our first time, this episode is our first time seeing Spike since the, since Lover's Walk, because he left town at the end of season two and he came back for Lover's Walk in season three. And that was the only episode he was on in the entire season if I remember correctly. So we haven't seen Spike in a while. And with Anya, we saw her, we did see her the last, the next to last episode of season three, I believe, because she was just kind of like, apocalypse, I'm leaving town. Bye. Come with me, Xander. Um, so that was the last time we saw her. I miss Anya with dark hair. Like we don't get the majority of the time that Anya is on the show, she's blonde. And I, you know, there's just not a lot of brunette representation in Buffy. <laughs> you know, we've got Willow the redhead, Buffy the blonde, and then I guess Dawn has brown hair. Uh, but Tara is like a light brown and Dawn is like light brown. And 
We just don't get a lot of dark-haired women. We don't get any dark-skinned women on Buffy either. Um, but anyway, I just, it was nice. It was a nice moment of like, oh, there's Anya with dark hair. I forgot she had dark hair for like a half a second when she first comes back in season four. Um, my next note is Spike, Blondie Bear. He's abusive. Where Spike takes her is a college party. Okay, so this is like... The first few interactions that we see between Harmony and Spike, when we realized that when Harmony was talking about her boyfriend, her boyfriend, her boyfriend with Willow, it's actually Spike that is her boyfriend. The first few interactions between them, it looks almost like his abusiveness towards her is something that she enjoys and likes to provoke in him like she looks like she's trying to provoke a reaction out of him and when he reacts by being abusive and terrible she's kind of turned on by it and then he's turned on by the fact that she's turned on by it it looks like that at first which is still kind of fucked up but it looks like it's you know nobody's really taking advantage of anyone else. It looks like they're both using each other for what they want from each other. The first few interactions, it looks that way. And then towards the end, he's just abusive and she's hurt. So it's, it's hard to know how to take that. It's, it's upsetting. Um, Oh, and, and I just thought it was weird that, like, you know, he's, like, she's cajoling him and, like, take me out, take me out. I'm sick of hanging out in the dungeon all the time. I want to do something. And he promises that he'll take her somewhere nice. And then the next scene that we see them is at the exact same college party that Buffy is at. Like, why would that be the somewhere nice? I guess, okay, wait, I have an explanation for it. Just thought of it. It's because he's obsessed with Buffy. So he went to where she would be. And he's probably, even though they haven't shown this, he's probably been watching her because he knows way too much about what's going on with her throughout the episode. It's possible that we're supposed to just infer that he's been lurking like Angel used to do. Probably. Um, it's definitely something that we notice in his character later that he is definitely a lurker when it comes to Buffy, just like Angel. Um, and Buffy's kind of like, my next note was that she was shockingly cavalier about the fact that when she runs into Harmony and Spike at the party, they're literally carrying out a guy that looks like he's half dead and has a visible bite on his neck. So they've obviously already been feeding on this guy and all she does is make stupid quips to Harmony and Spike, to Spike about Harmony right in front of Harmony. And I mean, she doesn't like let them take the guy with them or anything, but they don't even try to. I don't know. It just, the way that they played this, I just think it was directed badly or something because she didn't at all, normally Buffy would have immediately gone into hero mode and like, shown concern for the guy but she didn't even look in his direction she just started like you know being saucy towards spike immediately so it's interesting watching this this time i don't think i ever realized how far back the tendrils of 
Spike and Buffy go. And I think at this point they already knew that they were going to be doing the long long con with the two of them, that they were eventually going to get them together in another two years. I think they already knew that at this point because Buffy's just way too snarky towards him and he is already way too obsessed with her. He always was, but it's it's already quite obvious and we don't even find out that he's in love with her for like another year at at least I know it's sometime in season five that we find out that he's in love with her I'm pretty sure does it happen this season I don't think it does anyway we'll find out Xander is hanging a disco ball in his apartment so this is when Anya just shows up at his in his basement and she she decides that her theory is that if they just have sex that she will be over him because she is like fixated on him for some reason and she talks him into it she disrobes in front of him there's that stupid joke whenever he's about to offer her a juice box and she has like disrobed while his back is turned to get the juice box out of the fridge and he just squeezes it and it squirts everywhere and it's like whatever. I don't know. I just don't find that kind of the ridiculous slap sticky ejaculate humor. I'm not into it. <laughs> Never have been there. I said, it. okay, I can move on. <laughs> um, oh, my next note is Buffy calls Giles immediately. Good Slayer. I did really, I don't know why, but I just really appreciated this moment that like, as soon as, so Harmony reveals, as soon as we have the gem of Amara, you're going to be sorry or something like that. And so Buffy, like immediately, she's in the middle of the party and she's chased them off and she goes to a payphone, leaves the party and goes to a payphone to call Giles and tell him, okay, what's this gem of Amara thing? And has a conversation with him about it immediately. Like, she doesn't go back to the party and tell him later, which is something that she would have done in the past. It was just, I don't know, I just thought it was nice that, like, she just immediately contacted Giles. So, she gets a good slayer. She gets a gold star good slayer for that one. Um, so, this is the, you know, night where everybody does it, basically. So, Anya has just... Um, has just come to the basement to tell Xander she wants to do it with him. In fact, all three of these instances are women initiating the sex and then the next day in some way or another getting rejected by the man. What's that about, guys? What's that about? <laughs> because, you know, in Anya's case, she was just basically disrobed in front of him and said, you know, I want to have sex with you. I've got condoms. Let's do this. Um, and in Harmony's case, she's like laying on the bed and she's like beckoning Spike to her by saying things like, I'm simply covered in these blue veins and like all this stuff. And she's obviously trying to get him to come and do it with her. And then in Buffy's case, Parker sort of like manipulates Buffy into making the choice to like, let's go back to your place. Let's do this. I want to do this. I'm making this choice kind of thing. Interesting. 
I don't know what that's about. Like, what is, I don't really understand what they're trying to say with this episode, I think is the problem. Because it almost, on the surface, looks like, you know, it's the whole sex and consequences thing that Joss loves to do. He thinks that sex should always have consequences. And if it's a woman's choice, it should definitely have consequences. Is that what they're trying? I don't understand. If you guys know, let me know. Radio at gmail is where you can send me your emails. Okay. Because I don't, I don't think I get it. But I did like the little moment when, <laughs> so Harmony is like talking to Spike. It's like, is, is Antonio Banderas a vampire? Can I make him a vampire? And Spike's like, yeah, yeah, go ahead go make him a vampire, do Melanie and the kids too. I just like that little moment that like Spike would know who Antonio Banderas is married to and the fact that he has kids. <laughs> That's funny. My Michael just brought me tea because it's tea time. Um, okay. And there was this moment with Xander before they, Xander and Anya have sex um, and he's going into like a little speech and he's like, I like you and you have a certain directness that I admire, but, and I'm turning into a woman as I say this, <laughs> he's trying to make the argument that like, you know, sex is about expressing something. It's about feelings. You know, it's not just about, because Anya's like, I think I'll get over you if we could just have sex. And he's like, he wants more than just that. And which, if he had just not said the, and I'm turning into a woman as I say this, it's just this, this episode just seems way too sexist for Jane Espenson. Like, I'm just a little confused. Like, did it get rewritten? Was there like a, a bunch of like rewrites from other dudes? Like, was she feeling, was she so new as a writer on the show that she was feeling a lot of pressure to do things in a dude way or something like, I just don't understand what the message is on this episode. It's just not, I don't know. If it was a dude writing the episode, I would, I would just not even question it. I'd be like, well, a dude wrote this episode, but it wasn't, it wasn't. I'm just confused. Biff Naked is playing a college party. Let that sink in. Wouldn't happen. I cannot suspend my disbelief on that one. Okay. Moving on. Uh, I did... Okay. The thing that confuses me about Parker is that I buy it. For most of this episode, I buy it. He's being very sweet. He's being profound in a way that's not actually profound, but is profound when you're, you know, 18, 19 years old. So, you know, he give him a pass. He seems in tune to his feelings. He seems like he's listening to Buffy when she's talking. He's asking her questions about herself. He doesn't seem to be trying to be sleazy in any way. Like his if his game the whole time is just to act sensitive to get into someone's pants, he's doing a very good job because he's not being pushy. And that, as a woman, 
I can tell you, guys are not subtle. They don't, I have never experienced a guy that is being as subtle as this dude is being. <laughs> Michael asked me the other day, would you have slept with Parker? And I think, I mean, aside from the fact that I have actually never slept with someone without knowing them a really long time, there was one exception to that rule and that, um, that person was the worst human being that I have ever dated. But in every other case, I had known the person for at minimum, at minimum, like eight years. Everyone else I'd known for more than a decade. Like, I really have to, like, know someone a long time to trust them enough to have sex with them. But I recognize that that is a very strange thing. I am not normal in that sense. If I were able to be charmed by someone and have sex with them when I've known them less than a decade, yes, I think I would have slept with Parker because he was being very sweet. He is cute. He is listening to her. He's not being pushy in any way. He has that moment where he's like, are you sure this is okay? Like he wants verbal consent. You know, it is, I just don't think guys are this subtle. Let me know if I'm wrong. If you guys have ever just been totally taken by a dude and you know, I just, they're just like, I just think I'm not trying to be sexist here because in our society, dudes do not have to be subtle. It's not like they're born not being capable of being subtle. It's that they were never expected to be such, so they never have been, you know? Like, when they think they're being subtle, they're just not. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So here's the thing. The thing that makes Parker an asshole is that... You know, later his whole excuse is, you know, didn't you have fun? Did you, did you want more than that? Um, I thought it was pretty clear. You know, the only thing that's wrong with any of this is that he was not, in fact, clear about his intentions. Like, he was playing the long game. If he spent an entire week with Buffy, just, you know, hanging out, not making any moves. Like, it looked like they didn't even have a first kiss until the night that they slept together, which would have ostensibly been like a week and a half into hanging out constantly every night or whatever. And when she left the party, when she was like pursuing Spike and then went and called Giles and that whole thing, like I would assume that she was gone from the party for at least 30 minutes with that whole debacle, 20, 30 minutes. And when she comes back in, he's just sort of like standing around, like kind of looking like a lost puppy. So he didn't like go chat up someone else. He was, it's almost like, and later you see him just really like, in later episodes, you see him just like entrenched in conversations with women. Like he is 
like he can't see anyone else whenever he's in pursuit of one person. I don't, maybe there are people like this. Please let me know if there are and you know this type of human. Um, because I have not encountered this type of human. <laughs> it's just very deliberate what he's doing. And it's sort of fascinating, but also he's a poop head, just like Willow says. Okay, so now we get to the harsh light of day. It's the morning after um, everybody wakes up alone, essentially. Um, Spike is a dick to Harmony, tells her that he loves syphilis more than her. Um, Anya tells Xander, okay, I'm over you now. And he just is like, um, okay. Like, he just doesn't know what to do. And I... I don't blame Xander in this moment because, you know, the first time he ever had sex with someone, it was, you know, a situation where someone, you know, Faith just kicked him out afterwards. And I'm sure he's dealing with his own emotions surrounding that. So I think her saying, I'm over you now, and then him being like, um, okay, <laughs> is totally believable. And, you know, for once, I'm not like, pissed off at Xander. I do find it uncharacteristic of Anya, and I guess they just didn't really know how they were going to play her yet, but, you know, her being sort of passive-aggressive in this moment, because she's like, okay, I'm over you now, and he's like, okay, and then she's like, okay. Um, th I think that's uncharacteristic of Anya, because she's usually much more direct than that. She wouldn't need to do that weird little passive-aggressive thing, but they're writing women with a very broad brush in this episode. Um, then, okay, so Buffy wakes up alone, but then Parker comes back. It's his room. So he comes back into the room with some coffee and they have like a little kiss and a moment and then she goes home. When she walks into her dorm room, I, I like this little moment. Like she has just walked into the room. The door shuts behind her. She walks towards her bed and as she's walking towards her bed, she starts untying like she has like this weird strappy top that ties in the back nine 90s late late 90s almost 2000s fashion am i right anyway so she starts untying the the straps on her shirt and it's just in such a way that's it's not male gazy at all she's just simply quickly walking towards her bed like she's putting her purse down on the bed and she's untying her top because she's just coming home and she's ready to take her top off and you know get into some other outfit or you know jammies or something I don't know you know and I just liked that moment because it seemed so natural like I'm coming home now and I'm gonna untie this top you know and then she realizes that Giles is there, so she ties it up again. Turns around and ties it up again. And she does this whole stammering thing where she's like, I was um, out studying, and you know what? No. I'm an adult, and I don't need to tell you what I was doing last night. And Giles says, I'm sincerely relieved to hear it. So, I don't know. That was just a sweet moment to me that, like, you know, she's in college now. She's an adult, and she can... She doesn't feel like she needs to justify herself to dad. <laughs> and he's like, okay, good. I don't want to talk about it. Thanks. Um, so Giles is there to let them know Willow's there too. Cause you know, they live together now. 
So Giles is there to like, um, let them know about the gem of Amara, that maybe it's not a myth after all, blah, blah, blah. I don't even think I talked about that. The, if, in case you didn't watch the episode and you've never watched an episode of Buffy, <laughs> the gem of Amara is something that Spike is in pursuit of. He's like tunneling through Sunnydale, trying to find a crypt that this gem is in. And it is, um, apparently if a vampire wears it, it makes them impervious to any harm. So they can go out in the sunlight, they can be staked, and they will just heal again. It's a magical thing. And Giles initially, when Buffy mentioned it, was like, yeah, I've heard of that, but I think it's a myth. And so anyway, he's, he's meeting up with them and he's like, actually, I don't think it's a myth. I think they're going to fucking find it. I think it's here. <laughs> I think it's been here all along. Okay, so fine. Here's where we get to the moment that you've all been waiting for. The outfit of the episode. This is when we see um, Harmony wearing... Oh my god, it's so sexy. It's like, my sexual orientation is Harmony in this outfit. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but it's pretty hot. So it's like sky blue, like buffy blue almost, you know, like pale sky blue vinyl or satin maybe. It's possible they weren't vinyl, but they were definitely shiny. Probably not satin. They didn't look soft. I don't know what the material was, but it was something kind of shiny that wasn't exactly vinyl and wasn't exactly satin, but they were tight sky blue pants. And then she was wearing this corsety top thing. It had like the whole, it had an underwire situation. It was lilac. It had the hook and eye closures in the front. It was so hot and she was only wearing it for this one tiny little scene um so we did not really get to bask in that outfit very much especially because pretty much the entire time she's wearing the outfit spike is yelling at her and pushing her up against things and at this point she's not enjoying it anymore so it really sucks that the outfit of the episode the hottest sexiest outfit of the episode we have to see in a moment of domestic violence Kind of. I mean, do you call it domestic violence if you're being pushed around? I think so. I think so, actually, because it was pretty brutal and I didn't enjoy it. And I think this is just a good moment to take a little aside. We are going to, in the coming years, have many, many conversations about Blondie Bear, Spike, Spike Blondie Bear, Spike Blondie Bear, Copedman. No, I'm just kidding. And I know there's a lot of like divisive things that we have to talk about when it comes to Spike because he's somebody that you like, but you know you shouldn't like. He really is, if you want to boil him down to an archetype, he is the bad boy. And I don't see this done well very often. Like most of the time, whenever you're seeing a bad boy, quote unquote, in something, it's, I don't know, it's like Jess from Gilmore Girls or something. I mean, that wasn't a terrible example, but it's done well with Spike because you genuinely like him, but it needs to be said, and I will say it over and over and over. 
He is the abusive boyfriend. Look at this example right here whenever you can be a little bit objective because we don't love Harmony yet. So look at how he's treating Harmony and the fact that someone is capable of treating another human being the way that he's treating Harmony means that he's not a good guy. Even people that ship Spike and Buffy have to acknowledge that this is not a good guy. We love him, but we shouldn't love him. And I think that's a really interesting thing about the psyche of human beings that we like Spike, even though he's terrible. And we need to remember this. He, it, he is the archetype of bad boy. He is an abusive boyfriend. We will see this play out over and over. He's going to cause us a lot of pain in the coming years. Not yet, but we might as well start fortifying ourselves for it now because, oh shit, we're going to get into some dark stuff. Shadow work, as they call it in the witchcraft community. <laughs> okay, I'm going to try to move on because we are going to talk about that a lot in the next few years. Okay. Then we get to, oh, and it's heartbreaking because, you know, at this moment, Harmony's not enjoying it anymore. She actually looks like she's being abused. And she says to him, I don't know why I let you be so mean to me. And it's just heartbreaking. Oh, God. Um, then there's the Parker didn't call montage. <laughs> Some great music in this episode. The, there's a song by Devil Doll that plays whenever Harmony's seducing um spike a few scenes ago that i really love i play it all the time then there's um the song that's playing during the um little montage where buffy is like going around town trying to find people that have seen harmony and she's also like checking her answering machine and seeing that parker hasn't called um the song that's playing there is by doll's head called It's Over, It's Under. Both of those are available on my um, Radio Sunnydale mix. The link is always in the podcast description. Um, Oz and Giles have a cute little moment where Oz is like admiring Giles's record collection. Um, Xander points out that Giles has a TV. He's shallow like us, <laughs> which is cute. Um, Buffy wearing Buffy blue. Okay, this is the scene where I guess we can assume that it's been two or three days since the encounter and Buffy, you know, keeps checking her answering machine. He hasn't called, he hasn't called, and he was like, I'm going to call. Um, which I think, I mean, maybe I'm lucky. I haven't really had this whole experience of like, the guy's not calling. I guess because... In a situation when people are doing that whole thing where they're playing games, they're not, they're not calling because they think they need to wait or whatever, I would always just go ahead and call the person myself, you know, just break the cycle. I don't know. Like, 
And also probably because, you know, it would take me like a decade to even sleep with a person. By that time, you know, they're ready to go, go ahead and call you afterwards. <laughs> I guess I just don't do things like more, most people do. Um, okay. Let's see. Um, so she catches up with Parker and she's like, what's the deal? Like, did I do something wrong? Like, what's going on? And he's like, it's only been a couple of days. Do you need to talk to me about something? Um, and then he's like, didn't you have fun? Watch out how you answer that. Cause I have fragile ego or whatever. And I'm like, really right now, Parker, really? So <sighs> this situation bothers me. And I think I have pinpointed that Buffy's reaction to Parker bothers me. And I think what it is, is not her reaction to Parker in this episode it's the fact that this goes on her feeling inadequate. Like she's done something wrong and being heartbroken about Parker lasts for two or three more weeks. I think we finally, I think it's just two more episodes, but like she's super depressed over Halloween, which is next week's episode. And then she is still depressed and she finally bonks him over the head when she's being a cave woman in beer bad, which is two weeks from now. I think that's when I'll go ahead and bitch about like, this seems uncharacteristic of Buffy at this point. I totally understand how hurt she is and how she just doesn't understand that this is what's happening. Like, even when you're not a vampire, you could still just be a total jerk after we sleep together. Again, I think I've been fortunate that I haven't just had somebody like, I've had other bullshit happen to me, but I haven't ever just had somebody just like ghost me like that. So I guess I'm lucky because I know this has happened to a lot of people. So it, I, I don't know. Okay. I think I get it. I think I get it. It's because I am so slow to like, it takes me like a really long time to trust someone. And because of that, I wouldn't, I don't understand this experience because if I can imagine that if I just met someone in the last couple of weeks and we had an intimate experience together, um, suspending the disbelief that I could even do that. But let's say I could, let's say that I was Buffy and I went through this situation. I don't think I would be as hurt because I wouldn't trust him yet. Even if we had had like an intimate experience and we spent a couple of weeks together, whatever, I would not feel like I knew him well enough to know what his reaction to things would be. So I would just be like, well, he must be a dick then. And I would still be kind of protected because I think I protect my emotions pretty severely in the first, I mean, not just with relationships, but like the first several years that I even know another human being. And I'm thinking about whether or not I want to be friends with that human being. I probably wouldn't even call someone my friend until I've known them for a few years. <laughs> like I am just really like hard to penetrate my candy shell, I guess. I don't know. Dealing with my psyche. That's what I do. Okay. What the fuck is going on at this point? Um, 
So she's just very hurt in this moment. I do think it's uncharacteristic of Buffy to, after the initial part of this conversation, whenever he walks away and she's done the whole, like, did I do something wrong kind of thing? What I call bullshit on is when she chases after him. I don't think that's something that Buffy would do. After that whole conversation, Buffy would normally have pretended to be tough and like stormed off or something, or she might have even yelled at him. Like, this is totally not like her. She's being this, and this will continue for another couple of episodes. She's being this like wounded person that. In, I mean, she is definitely vulnerable and we've seen Buffy in dark places before and I can understand if she's upset by this experience, but I don't think she would be reacting in this particular way. I think she would be pretending to be tough. Buffy pretends to be tough when she's sad and scared and upset. She puts on toughness. She runs away from feelings and puts a tough shell on. She doesn't do this super vulnerable mopey thing. Like she'll mope. She'll put on her depression dungarees like nobody's business, but then she still gets shit done. You know, she'll cry into her pillow, but in the next scene, she's, I don't know. She's just how dark she gets because of fucking Parker, some guy that she knew for two weeks. It's just, I don't know. I thought I was gonna stop talking about it, but of course I didn't. I just don't get it. So, um, this is, so right after this little confrontation with Parker, Spike shows up. He immediately, as soon as he put that motherfucking ring on, oh, you know what we've, oh my God, you know what we totally skipped over? Spike stakes Harmony. Like, not only is he terrible to her, but as soon as he finds that fucking ring, he notices, or he puts on this amulet thing, and he thinks that that's the gem of Amara. And she is talking, and he's just annoyed by her voice. So he goes over and he stakes her. And she had, just like without even thinking about it, she had put the ring on. So he was about to kill her. He would have killed her if she wasn't wearing the gem of Amara. Like, not only is he an abusive boyfriend, he's a murderous abusive boyfriend. He was going to murder her. And she just happened to have the gem of Amara on and didn't even realize it. And that's why she survived. Man, there's just so much to unpack there, guys. There's so much to unpack there. So anyway, Spike runs into Buffy as soon as she's had that confrontation with Parker. And it just means that the second he put the ring on, he went to Buffy. He is so obsessed with her. He probably like, you know, he was telling Harmony that the whole reason he came back to Sunnydale was because he wanted to find the gem of Amara. But he's probably just using that as an excuse. He still hasn't admitted it to himself yet. And we won't even know that he is like in love with her. We won't even know, like I said earlier, till like about a year from now. But I mean, they needed a reason to bring him back. And I understand. <laughs> so being obsessed with Buffy, I mean, he always has been. He's always wanted to kill her because he likes to kill slayers. But at this point, 
it has turned the corner, I think. I think his obsession with her is... Because he's kind of a serial monogamist. But Harmony is obviously a rebound because he's not respectful towards her at all. He was extremely respectful towards Drusilla. And he's extremely respectful towards Buffy. Even though, again, he's still the abusive boyfriend. In all of these cases, he's still the abusive... I don't know. He didn't really seem abusive towards Drusilla. Maybe I'm not remembering it correctly, but I... I mean, he still... They still had that sort of S&M thing going on, but he wasn't aggressive towards her. He was caring and nurturing towards her. Right? Anyway, I get why a show like this needs to have the abusive boyfriend storyline, so I don't fault it for having it, but it's just so many people want Buffy and Spike to be together when it's not okay for them to be together. It's just not. Okay. <laughs> Keep trying to move on from these subjects, but I just can't. Okay. Xander's dismissive towards Anya because he's trying to find Buffy. At this point, they know that they assume that Spike has found the gym and they need to find Buffy and, you know, whatever, whatever. So Xander's trying to find Buffy. And this is kind of like a little bit of foreshadowing because Anya just wants to talk to Xander and he is dismissive towards her and says, Anya, I don't have time. Which he literally doesn't, but he could have been nicer about that. You know, this episode is really painting women as being sort of these obsessive, love-obsessed creatures that talk a lot. Which is a tropey thing, but in reality, that's not the case. You know, if you read studies about, you know, how much men and women talk, it's men. Men are talking, men are talking, men are talking, men are talking. They're not listening, they're not listening, they're not listening. Nine times out of ten. I know, hashtag not all men, but hashtag most of them. So, in this moment of Xander being dismissive towards Anya because he needs to get to Buffy, this is a continuing theme, and this is the first time we see it, and we will see it many, many, many more times. And we're going to have to talk about abusive boyfriends in the context of Xander in the future as well, because he's always dismissive towards Anya. This little moment of kind of dismissiveness is foreshadowing for their entire relationship. And it's something you don't necessarily notice the first couple of watch throughs of Buffy. You don't necessarily think of Xander as dismissive towards Anya, but he so is, and we are going to be talking about it a lot. <laughs> okay, so basically, um, Buffy and Spike are fighting. Spike is extremely slut-shamey towards Buffy, and he's like, oh, he just says some gross shit. Like, how did he, how did he pry apart, how did Parker pry apart the Slayer's dimpled knees? You know, and then he's like, well, it seems like you're not worth a second go. Seems like someone told me as much. Oh, yeah, Angel. Anyway, she kicks his ass. She takes the ring from him. And the episode ends with Oz saying, I can take it to Angel. I'm going to L.A. for a gig. So that's when we get our very first crossover. 
So Oz is going to go over to Angel, and we're going to talk about that next. But first, okay, first we have to make fun of the last shot of the entire episode, which is Buffy, Anya, and Harmony on their own, scorned women, taking a walk out in the moonlight, and they all just happen to be like a little triangle of scorned women. One of them was walking in one direction, the other one's walking in the other, and they make like a little triangle, like none of them are walking towards each other, but they're all on campus. Like, I get why Anya, no, I don't get why Anya is on campus, but I could kind of get why Anya is on campus. Harmony, for sure, like, why is she there? I don't know. <laughs> it's stupid. I mean, I get what they were doing, I guess, but I don't get what they were doing as well. Anyway, let's get into our ratings of the episode, and then we will talk about the Angel episode. Okay, my object of the episode, I had a really hard time with this one because, oh, oh, you guys, I forgot to mention, we've been on Minty Mug Watch because I have been worried that it didn't make it through graduation. I was worried that Giles didn't pack up his minty mug with all of his books. But this episode, episode three of season four, is the first sighting of Giles's minty mug. Exactly 23 minutes and 26 seconds into the episode, you see him drinking from it and you see him set it down on his desk. <laughs> so don't worry, minty mug still present in our lives and Giles. I will still be looking for it because I feel like there is a point where we stop seeing it. Um, but I just appreciate it every time I see it. So gonna point it out. Object of the episode. So featured object of the episode. I had a hard time with this one because I can't really, I didn't really notice anything that I necessarily wanted. I think what what I want is also a concept in this episode because what I want is Harmony's lilac corset top, but also what I want is to look as good in it as she does. <laughs> so it would have to obviously be custom fit for me like it is for her. Yeah, and I want it to actually be a real corset. That is just a corset top. Like, she already has the figure to put on a semi-corseted top and look great. I would want it to actually be a corset so it could make me look great enough to wear it. But a lilac overbust corset that is based on Harmony's lilac corset top. That is what I want as my object of this episode. Um, kind of a stretch, but I'm going with it. Outfitted the episode, like I said, is that lilac corseted top with her sky blue, like, vinyl-looking shiny pants. I don't think we ever saw what shoes she was wearing, so let's just imagine they were great. Um, the quote, oh my god, I didn't point this out. When, um, that last scene between Harmony and Spike whenever he was super awful to her and he fucking tried to murder her she um he like thinks that that necklace is the gem of amara and he just like yanks it off of i'm assuming a dead body or something because they're in a crypt although they don't really show skeletons and stuff or i guess they kind of do but it's kind of subtle but he like rips it off 
And the quote of the episode is Harmony's reaction to this. She's like, she goes, ew, like you're too good to work a clasp. <laughs> and I love that because every single time in in movies and TV and all that. If you think about how many times somebody has just ripped a necklace off of someone without just undoing the clasp, it bothers me every single time. And every single time I think of this moment, (laughs) ew, like you're too good to work a clasp. I love that. I just love it. Quote of the episode goes to harmony. Um, MVP of the episode, I couldn't think, I just, I sat here forever trying to decide. And all I have is a snarky response to that, and it is scorned women. Scorned women are the MVP of this episode for some goddamn reason. (laughs) It's just such a trope. Okay, then we get to our 5 by 5 rating. So how was the treatment of women in this episode? As y'all know since I've been talking about it this whole fucking time, it wasn't great. And I feel like there was supposed to be some sort of commentary. Like they were painting women with this broad brush for a reason, but it just wasn't executed correctly. Um, because I just don't get it. Like I said, like, what are they trying to say here? I just don't know. Maybe there was just a disconnect between Jane Espenson and James Contner, who was the director. I don't fucking know. So I'm going to give the treatment of women. I mean, it just paints them as emotional, hysteric creatures that don't know what they want. And there's like passive aggressiveness and like even with Willow like she's hiding behind Oz and I don't know I just let's give it a two a two for treatment of women as far as enjoyability of the episode it's not very enjoyable like I don't really like this episode (sighs) let's see Does it have purpose? Yes. Like, I guess the whole, like, sleeping with someone in college and then them not calling is a story that does need to be told on a show like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, I don't know. Why do I agonize about the ratings? It's not like I really look back at them that much. I, I guess I'll give it a two. Because I don't really like it. And when I like an episode and I think it's fairly decent, I'll give it a three. So let's just say it's a two. So that means this episode gets a four. Let's talk about Angel now. Okay. I need to go... My notes for Angel are separate. So I need to go find them. They're in my purse. And I think it's downstairs. So hold, please. Okay. Let's read the Nikki Stafford episode guide summary from her episode guide, Once Bitten, for the Angel episode, In the Dark. When Oz takes the gem of Amara to Angel in L.A., Spike follows to try to get it back. There you go. (laughs) So, it's fun. This is fun. Just in general, to see this happening. You know, we watched 
these two episodes back to back when I watched it with my mom on Thursday. And it was just fun. It was just fun to see Oz say he's taken the gem of Amara to Angel. And then in the next episode, we see it happening. And Spike's there. And Spike's making fun of Angel from the rooftop. And, you know, it's just this episode of Angel is actually, I think, better than the episode of Buffy. And I don't think I'm going to say that possibly ever again, and definitely not very often if I do. Because this episode has a moral center to it and a maturity that we're just, we just don't see that often with Angel. And I mean, I think we're supposed to think that he is a very moral character, blah, 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 most of the time, but I just don't see that. But in this episode, I do. So anyway, um, let's get to notes. Okay. Does this episode pass the Bechtel test? No, it does not. I guess the episode of Angel is not better than the episode of Buffy. I think I'm just fixating on this one scene at the very end of this Angel episode. So I'll talk about that when we get to it. I only have like a page of notes for this Angel episode. So hopefully I'll be quick. My very first note is domestic abuse and gun. So the very first scene in this Angel episode is... And we are keeping track of little blonde girls that need Angel's help. This chick makes number four by the end of the episode. We're our total for, I mean, this is only the third episode of Angel, is five. Five little blonde girls like Buffy stand-ins that Angel needs to save. Obviously, they're doing that on purpose. Um... Spike on the rooftop, he's like, he's just caught up with them and Angel doesn't know he's there and he's like doing this little voiceover because he can't actually hear what Angel and the chick are saying to each other in the alley, but he's just making up a little commentary and it's funny. It's a good moment. The like rivalry between Spike and Angel is something that's always enjoyable and this is not the last time that we will see it on the Angel series, so... Stay tuned for that. We don't have to worry about all that abusive boyfriend bullshit <laughs> from Spike's character whenever he's just interacting with Angel. Yay! Um, my next note was, Oz is here. <laughs> it's 11.05. Do you know what your karma is? <laughs> that was like something that a radio uh, person said, I think, when Oz was in his van. Um... I just wrote it down. It's 11.05. Do you know what your karma is? Oh my God. Is it 11.05 right now? No, it's 11.25. Right now it's 11.25. Do you know what your karma is? Okay. Sorry. Just for some reason I need to say that three times. <laughs> Oz and Cordelia hug. That was interesting. Don't think that's ever happened before. Um, Cordelia refers to Oz as the total embodiment of Sunnydale. <laughs> And I think he says something like, well, it's a burden, but I try to bear it or something. I don't know. He said something cute, of course, because Oz always does. This episode was kind of fun because Oz was really actually there the whole time. It wasn't just like a little moment of him handing over the gym and being like, okay, bye. He was just actually in the episode. He 
helps fight the evil and all that shit. So this was just actually a very solid episode of Angel, in my opinion. Um, oh, I, the moment that I, the nitpicky moment for me that I find unbelievable is the fact that, so when, back in the last episode, when Buffy mentioned to Giles, the gem of Amara, he was like, hmm, I thought that was a myth. I don't think that's real. And when Spike was looking for it, he didn't know what it looked like. You know, he didn't know that it was like this little ring. He thought it was like some big flashy thing. And that's why he put, didn't work the clasp on that amulet that he put on. Cause it was like this huge amulet thing. So the second that Oz hands over the gem of Amara, like both Doyle and Angel are like, oh, the gem of Amara. Oh my God. It's like, why do they know what it is when Giles didn't, you know, I call bullshit on that, but I guess they just had to have like a little shorthand to tie the stupid episodes together and get the plot started. Blah, blah, blah. Little things, little things, guys. I like to fixate on little things. Um, would like to point out because I always do. Angel is doing Tai Chi wrong. And I know this because my mom is a Tai Chi princess. <laughs> Probably she would call it a she wouldn't call herself a Tai Chi master. She actually is. She's actually better at Tai Chi than her teacher. Sorry, I said it. I said it because it's true. But I always ask every time you see Angel doing Tai Chi, I always ask her, is he doing it right? She's like, no. <laughs> she doesn't point it out. Like she doesn't even like, I don't even think she would necessarily say it if I didn't ask, <laughs> but I just have to. Um, oh, um, I wrote this down simply because I made a joke that made my Michael laugh. So there was this moment where, so the chick that Angel's trying to save in this episode, at the beginning of this episode, um, there's an abusive boyfriend, like he gets him to jail or something. And then he got out and then he has a conversation. Angel has a conversation with the chick and she's like, he got out, something about a technicality. And my joke was, technicality? It's called the patriarchy, honey. <laughs> and Michael was like, oh. <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Telling the joke after the fact. Not cute. Never was. Sorry. But I did it anyway. Um, Angel has this like little wise... Um, speech that he gives to this girl. Cause she's like, I don't know. I just Jones for him after a while. Like I know he's abusive towards me, but I just like want him back. So I don't, are they trying to, obviously at this point in the angel series, they are thematically tying the two episodes together because I mean, even in like, at least with this particular I mean, maybe it's because there's a crossover in these particular episodes. So they thought it out a little bit more, but like the Buffy episode is called harsh light of day. And then this episode of angel is called in the dark. They both have themes of domestic violence. They both have, you know, some bullshit treatment of women going on in the episodes. Um, so I do enjoy that 
that aspect of them trying to thematically tie the two episodes together and having a crossover. I wish they did that more often. Like we don't actually see that very often. So it's nice that they did it here. And it's nice when it happens the other couple of times that it happens, but it usually doesn't happen. So it's just, it was just a fun experience watching these two episodes back to back. Um, whatever. Every single note that I have here is just kind of stupid. Doyle has a clotta. Torture. Sire. Again, Spike. Really? So he, Spike calls Angel his sire, which he's done this before. And it has already been established that sire means the person that turned you into a vampire. And Drusilla is the one that turned Spike into a vampire. So blah. Anyway, the first episode we meet Spike, he calls Angel his sire, which I can understand. Maybe they just, I mean, at that point, they did not know that Spike was going to be a recurring character. So they probably didn't already know his backstory. The fact that Drusilla was the one that made him into a vampire. But this, at this point, we know. So not excusable, Spike. Not excusable. <laughs> uh, Spike shaming Buffy again. So he's consistent, at least. So he does it from, you know, he does it on Angel and he does it on Buffy this week. Doyle's got an Amaro demon sense of smell. Okay, that was, um, he, Doyle like puts on his demon face for a second and that's enough for him to smell where Angel has hidden the gem because there's just like this whole thing where he hides the gem. Um, Spike hires some like, really creepy vampire dude to try to torture Angel into telling him where he put the gem and then Spike corners Cordelia and Doyle and tries to get I'm sorry guys every time I say Doyle I think of Danny Strong's character on Gilmore Girls I just I can't the word Doyle is just him in my mind, which confuses me because he plays Jonathan on, in this universe, you know? Anyway. Oh crap, I accidentally did something with my computer and I don't know what it did. I don't know, I pushed a button and it started making a whirring noise, but it doesn't seem to actually be doing anything. All right. Anyway. Fortunately, we don't have to deal with this Doyle conundrum too long because he doesn't stick around past the first season, unfortunately. But also fortunately, because he wasn't, I mean, I don't hate him as a character, but he's just, he's definitely not stick around material. So I understand why he didn't make it through more than the first season. Okay. Um, my next note is Oz has two crossbows. He's definitely an active fighter in this episode. Um, doing his whole Oz in his... I mean, it's kind of fun to watch him just like, sort of like, I don't know, slam onto the scene and save people in his van. <laughs> I don't know. Isn't Oz the best? Oh God, guys, the countdown. How many more episodes do we have with Oz? Let's, let's do an Oz countdown. We're just going to do that until, until it's over. <laughs> we get him in the next episode of Buffy. One, two, three. That's it. We have three more episodes with Oz. He does come back for one more episode, but it's just a one-off a little later in the season. 
That's the Oz count. Three more episodes with Oz, you guys. Shit. Okay. Just take a moment. We got to prepare ourselves. We really, we, we need to, we need to make sure we're talking about it now so we can prepare. Okay. Um, I don't know. I don't really care enough about the Angel episode to talk about everything that happens, but basically, basically, he eventually gets out of the torture situation. The guy that was torturing him has a hold of the Gem of Amar at this point. He's wearing it, and there's this whole, like, weird little subplot that he, he likes children. They definitely did a good job making this guy seem extremely creepy. Um... He reads as, like, a Nazi, really. Um, he's definitely serial killer creepy. And so he's, like, walking along the pier in daylight. He's a vampire, if I didn't mention that. In daylight, he's got the ring on. He's prowling for a kid, apparently. And I call total bullshit on this, but Oz, or... Angel is in Oz's van and it's like, you know, light tight, whatever. Cause he's got his, um, all of the band equipment in it or whatever. And he insists upon jumping out of the van to go after the guy. And he does attack him pretty quickly. And they like wrestle into the water, but Angel fully catches on fire. And this is like, of course, this is just one of those things that, like, when a vampire gets staked in any regular episode of Buffy, they dust immediately unless they're Spike or Angel. And if you're just, like, a millimeter off of the heart with one of them, <laughs> then they're fine. And also, they can be in the sunlight. Like, just this last episode, Spike was in sunlight for, like, a couple of seconds before he dove into a sewer or tunnel or whatever when Buffy first took the ring off of him. And in this moment, you know, Angel fully was able to like run across a pier, attack someone and jump into the ocean. That was like a full five seconds he would have caught on fire. I mean, he would have immolated completely if he were a vampire that wasn't important to the storyline. But again, I'm nitpicking. That is something that I will definitely bitch about again because the Angel show takes a lot of liberties when it comes to sunlight. Um, they do like, they have this whole plot point where like the offices of Wolfram and Hart have like special glass so that, you know, vampires can actually sit in the sun next to the windows. Like, okay, that's a little bit of a stretch, but there's a lot of I guess just having a whole show focused on Angel when it's a show helmed by someone that does not really pay attention to all those little details and plot consistency in general is not the strong point of Joss Whedon. That's going to happen and it's something that I'm going to point out, but this is one of those moments. But anyway, he attacks the guy, he ends up killing him and he gets the ring and he puts it on. So this is where the episode becomes meaningful to me. So Angel has put the ring on and he's walking out of the pier and then he walks into the sun. And of course he only put it on so that he could survive long enough to get back to 
to everybody and, you know, like whatever. But he lets himself walk along the beach, bask in the sunlight, and you see that like time has elapsed because later he's watching the sunset and he's hanging out with Doyle. And this is where it gets profound. Like he's having a conversation with Doyle. He's watching the sunset and, you know, he's obviously thought about it all day. You know, he's been wearing it all day, just hanging out in the sun. And there's like a moment where everybody has a conversation like it, you know, if he has this ring, it changes everything. It makes him impervious. It makes him better able to help people. Um, and Doyle's kind of pointing out, this is the redemption that you've been waiting for. You know, this is, this is what you've been wanting. You know, you need to make amends for all the wrong that you've done. And now you have it, which is the premise of the show of Angel. So this part of the show of Angel, they usually get right. This whole, this is something that I actually like about Angel, the show, which is this whole thing, this whole you know, he, the entire premise of the show is that he is trying to help people to make amends for all the people that he killed when he was an evil vampire. He killed a lot of people. He did a lot of horrendous things. And this, him helping people is him balancing the scales. You know, he's trying to become a better person, make up for what he did the redemption storyline is something that I do find compelling. So this is where, you know, they're talking about that and Angel, he, he just is very eloquent about it. Actually, I didn't even take any notes about this, but he just basically says, you know, he has sort of like a class, a classist point to make that I think is actually pretty interesting. He's like, I can't keep the ring. It needs to be destroyed. You know, I, you know, I had this moment in the sun. He doesn't say this part, but like he has this moment in the sun. He has this day. He spends a day in the sun, which he has not done for 250 years or whatever. He has not seen the sunlight in a very long time. And so he let himself have that day, but he knows that he can't keep that. He can't do that on a regular basis. He does not deserve that. And it would distract him from his mission, you know? Um, and this could very easily be done wrong. You know, like, of course he's not going to keep it because the show would have no stakes if he was impervious to all harm all the time because he was wearing this ring it would have no stakes. So obviously they have to get rid of it, but the explanation for it seemed really genuine to me. I liked it. I thought it was a good philosophical argument that like, he basically said, you know, what about, I mean, yeah, I can save people during the day if I'm wearing this ring, but those people already have defenders, you know, like he was basically implying that like the nine to five people, you know, the daytime people, the people that haven't slipped through the cracks, they already have police. They have people defending them. He's talking about the people that the police don't care about defending. He's talking about the people that have slipped through the cracks. He's talking about the 
impoverished people those are the people that he wants to save he wants to save the people that are out at night slipping through the cracks that no one cares about those are the people that he wants to save and so he needs to continue living in the dark he's choosing to stay in the dark and I think that is an important premise that they're setting up and that's an important bit of characterization especially if you for some reason are watching Angel and have never seen Buffy this is an important characterization moment for Angel they're they give him a lot of respect on this show and they let him be a mature character in a way that you just did not see on Buffy and yeah that was it was just a nice little note to end on um as far as ratings of the episode I closed my little notebook but I I'm gonna try to just I think what I'm I'm going to keep my little count of how many little blonde girls does Angel either think he needs to save or actually does need to save. I'm going to keep track of whether or not the episodes pass the Bechdel test. This one did not. There were just like no conversations between women, like at all, the whole episode. Cordelia talks to Oz, Cordelia talks to Doyle, Cordelia talks to Angel. The other chick that needed to be saved only talked to Angel. And that was it. That was the extent of women in this episode. Very poor. So like the treatment of women, they were, I mean, there were two women in this episode. That's it. One of them was a victim um, that kind of, I mean, she wasn't completely damseled like she was, but she had some characterization to her as well. They at least cared enough about her to let her talk about, you know, I realize he's abusive, but I, I'm like addicted to him for some reason. And, you know, she was talking about how she actually felt. Um, so it wasn't just one note. There was a little bit of nuance to her, but as far as Cordelia was just kind of there doing her Cordelia thing. I don't remember anything necessarily that memorable about her in this episode, so women were just largely absent in this episode and one of them was a domestic abuse victim so i would say treatment of women in this episode a two um as far as actual enjoyability of the episode i do think it was a good episode of angel in general i think it's stuck to its core premise it it did its thing well and especially if you compare it to all the Angel episodes, there are so many that are so terrible, but this one was decent. Um, and it had a, it had a clear, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Clear premise, clear trajectory. That's not what I'm thinking of, but it was clear. It was clear and concise and it knew what it was doing. But I mean, it's just, it's basically just decent. Like I don't like it necessarily. I guess I like it, but I don't know. I'll give it a three cause it was decent for an angel episode. So it gets a six. So it actually did end up getting a higher rating than the Buffy episode. 
It got a six, and the Buffy episode got a four. These are not scientific. Not at all. Anyway, thanks for listening tonight. Um, you guys are the best. I really think so. Um, next week, we'll be talking about Fear Itself, the Buffy episode, and then also the Angel episode, I Fall to Pieces. So we're in the throes of an awesome, like, we've got, let's see, starting with the first episode of season four. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine nine weeks in a row of Buffy episodes. I don't know if we've ever had, or it's been a long time at least since we've had a streak that long. Sometimes I wonder, okay, so the Buffy podcast that I listen to every week as part of my research for this show, or every week that there's a Buffy episode air date anniversary, I watch, or I listen to Buffering the Vampire Slayer, and they're doing... Um, I say this new thing. I'm a year behind them. They're talking about season five right now. Um, I think, or maybe they just finished season five. I don't know. I think they're in season five right now. And they just went to an every two week schedule a year ago. So, and they also take breaks every once in a while. So I'm kind of hopeful that at some point I will catch up to them. I'm not sure if that's how it'll work or not, because, you know, sometimes I do every week for a while because of the nature of this project and then I'll have to take a month off or whatever. And sometimes they take a month off and I might never catch up to them, but I think with their new and new being like a year ago, because that's how behind I am with their episodes. Since I'm listening to the ones that I'm about to talk to you about, which they recorded like a year ago. That's when they started doing the like every other week thing. So that kind of makes me excited that I might inch up to them. And if at some point we're actually covering the same episodes at the same time, that would be so awesome. I don't know if that'll happen. I don't know if it's possible. I'd love it if they knew I existed. Anyway, um, Buffering the Vampire Slayer. Great Buffy podcast if you would like to listen to one that isn't just mine. Um, yes, it's great. Anyway, um, I will see you guys next week. Bye!